Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas Hill, as always. And Colin, we we thought last week was going to be a more competitive game, or at least I did. But the scoreboard certainly didn't turn out that way. Ohio State blowing out Michigan for the second year in a row, fifty-six to twenty-seven. Two years in a row now, we've seen a big beatdown for the Buckeyes over the Wolverines. Eighth straight win in the rivalry game for Ohio State, and certainly a great way to cap off Ryan Day's first regular season as Ohio State's head coach. Yeah, you know, about a week ago, we were sitting here, and we were projecting, you know, I know we're, we typically record on every Wednesday morning, we're going to have to go on a Tuesday night, maybe we might be talking about the first competitive football game of the year. And no, this is another game that was. Uh, I think that I think the um, maybe the most telling part of this game was just that it felt like any other game, and that's really not what what's called the game is supposed to feel like. Yet it played out in a really similar fashion to to pretty much every single Ohio State game that's that, that's happened this year, except for um, the first half. Um, issues with, with Shea Patterson sort of carving up the the, the secondary a couple times, which um, I know I know we're going to talk about a little bit later. Yeah, I think the final score certainly looks a lot like what we've, at least in terms of a margin of victory, looks a lot like what we've seen from a lot of Ohio State games this year, but I don't know if it necessarily felt quite the same way as a lot of Ohio State games this year. And, and honestly, it kind of felt a lot like last year's game against Michigan, because Kind of the same thing as last year where things looked a little dicey for a half and then in the second half, eventually the Buckeyes just took over and poured it on and pulled away. And it was kind of the same thing this year where part of a game, things are feeling a little uneasy. Thing, you know, Ohio State fans are maybe feeling a little bit down about things that are going on. And then by the end of a game, it was like a f- switch completely flipped. And everybody's happy because the Buckeyes won big. So that's kind of how it felt to me two years in a row. Like you mentioned, it was the worst first half of a year for Ohio State's defense. And I think I think we can start there because, like you mentioned, Shea Patterson throwing for 250 yards in the first half. Ohio State gave up 285 yards in the first half, that tied the most that any team had had on Ohio State all year. So it looked like Michigan found something against this Ohio State defense that nobody else had found all year. And maybe that was just the fact that Sean Wade wasn't on the field because Sean Wade's played such a crucial role the type of defense that Ohio State has run this year, a lot of times that slot corner is a third corner, and it's maybe not one of the most important players on the defense, but the way Ohio State's defense has operated this year, Sean is actually one of the most important players on the entire defense and the role that he plays, and they don't really, they didn't really have a guy who was ready-made to step in and fill in for him. So I think that's something that Michigan was able to take advantage of. I think we saw way more blown coverages and and missed assignments from the defense in the first half than we had seen in any game yet this year. And frankly, it 
it felt like last year watching that game at times in the first half, seeing some of the missed tackles. I don't know the numbers, but I would guess that Ohio State had by far its most missed tackles in Saturday's game. Definitely looked like they were uncomfortable at times, but then you get to the end of the game in the second half, and Shea Patterson went 4 for 26 on his last 26 passes for 55 yards. So Ohio State figured out something. I I honestly didn't even realize until I looked at the box score after the game how dominant Ohio State had been in terms of flipping that switch on pass defense. But even though Ohio State gave up more yards and more points than it had in any other game this year, you've got to give the Buckeyes credit. Sean Wade missed the whole game. Damon Arnett left in the third quarter. They had Amir Reap and Seven Banks and Cam Brown and Marcus Hooker, guys who haven't played a ton of football, playing more time in that secondary than usual. And they found a way to, to turn it around and, and slow down a Michigan offense that had carved them up in the first half in a way we just hadn't seen anyone do yet this year. Yeah, the Sean Wade thing is gigantic. And I think that even probably us, we, we, didn't, we didn't really truly factor in what that means to this defense. Because I think looking back on it right now, it, it does make sense um, that, 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 that the defense looked like it did. Like you said, there, there is no guy who's behind there like like last year or, or two years ago I remember when when Jeff Okuda was a freshman you had, you had Okuda sort of sitting there in the back and and you you wondered what what maybe it would be like if 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 he got more snaps and last year I think it was Sean Wade a little bit um, and this year um, you don't you don't have someone who who really has much more than just sort of reserve late game time and that's that that I think Jeff Halfley had mentioned on Tuesday that they have that they have uh, confidence in Marcus Hooker, they have confidence in Amir Reap, but but those are not guys who they went to in the first half. In the first half, um, when the, when they when they initially put out the the, um, the three cornerback look, they they had Damon Arnett playing on the inside and Sean Wade position, and then they had Seven Banks playing on the outside and and what was typically Damon Arnett's position, and and obviously in the second half. Something, something switched, and I, and I do think it was it was fairly minimal changes that led to it, and that's why, like you, I, I remember I think someone had told me that Shea Patterson at the time it was really late in the game that he was like four for twenty three in the second half, and I thought they were just joking, and they were saying they were talking about how bad, uh, how 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 poorly Shea had performed, and then I looked at the stat line, I was like, wait, he actually. He, I, I I honestly couldn't believe it. Just based, I knew I knew he hadn't played as well as he did in the first half, but there were there wasn't this one big change yet. Yet the yet the production obviously changed. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's been I think that's been a part of his defense this year. That I don't I don't think this is a defense that ever wants to be making drastic changes within a game. They want to keep things simple, so I don't think you're ever going to see them come out in the second half and look completely different than they did in the first half. I don't I don't think that's in their MO. I think it's trying to find little things they can tweak, little adjustments they can make. Probably not things that the average fan is seeing or even that you or I are necessarily picking up on, but but little things that the coaches can see and that the players can see that can make the defense better. And I think you gotta give a lot of credit specifically to Amir Reap because I'll be honest that I think you agree with me that going into the game, I thought if they had to play Amir Reap 
for significant playing time, I thought that was going to be a problem because I did not think he had played great in the time that he had played this year. And when he first came into the game in the second quarter, that seemed to be the case. He got beat a couple times. It looked like they were picking on him. And they could be in big trouble. But he stepped it up in the second half, made a couple big plays in the fourth quarter, broke up a fourth down pass. Next series, intercepted a pass. That's big for him to take advantage of an opportunity like that when it comes in and you think ahead to next year and obviously we're not talking about next year right now but seeing those guys like Amir Reap and Seven Banks and Cam Brown and Marcus Hooker those are the guys they might need to play next year because they're at risk of losing their entire starting secondary I think they're certainly going to lose three Damon Arnett and Jordan Fuller both seniors Jeff Okuda is going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft and if Sean Wade decides to leave as well they could have an entire new starting secondary next year. So I think looking ahead to next year, I think there's a good chance the secondary is going to be the big question mark we're all talking about all offseason. And I don't think that's changed, but for those guys to be thrust in in a situation like this is certainly going to help their development going forward. Yeah, it matters. This is this was... I think the, probably the best group of wide receivers uh, as a whole that Ohio State has faced this entire year. So they're going up against those kind of guys, um, and it's the Michigan game. And we and, and I think earlier in the earlier last week we had heard Pete Werner talk about um, just how much making a single play in the Michigan game mattered to him when when he was when he was younger as an underclassman. Like these are the kinds of moments that they'll remember. Like Amir Reeb is going to remember that interception. And it'll hypothetically propel him. At least that's what Ohio State really wants from him. Um, but this year, um, this year's group, hypothetically going forward, they won't have to rely on any of them. Um, Sean Wade's expected to play on Saturday in the Big Ten title game. Um, I, I personally, I, I, I imagine Dame Arnett will probably play, but Ryan Day was a little uh, less certain when he was talking about him on on a conference call earlier this week. Um, if if this entire secondary is back, what's your level of confidence that I know Wisconsin doesn't have the the passing attack that Michigan does? But what's what's your level of confidence in this secondary when it's when it's essentially full? Well, I think I think when it's essentially full, I think it's one of the best secondaries in the country. I, I think again, we're talking about four we're talking about four NFL players, two or three guys who I think are going to be first or second round NFL draft picks. So. I think it's one of the best secondaries in the country. Clay Travis doesn't agree with that, but I, I think it's a fantastic secondary when healthy. And I I think they need him to be healthy because I think that's one of those positions, and again, it was illustrated a little bit, especially early in Saturday's game, where Ohio State doesn't quite have the depth that it does at some other positions. And you were getting it about before. They, they don't have that fourth guy waiting. In. I think Cam Brown's going to be a good player. I think Seven Banks is going to be a good player. So do I. Amir Reap obviously showed something in the second half on Saturday. Marcus Hooker seems to be coming along. He got off to a slow start, but he seems to be coming along. Josh Proctor was also out on Saturday, but I think he's got a lot of potential. So I think there's a lot of guys in that secondary who have the potential to be very good players, but I think right now there's a big drop-off after that top four. So I think you look ahead... Not necessarily to Wisconsin, but you look ahead to the playoff where maybe you could play a, a Clemson or an LSU or an Oklahoma. 
I think at that point you really need those guys to be healthy. Yeah, I mean, I think that we just learned uh, another lesson about just the level of importance of, of, of having those guys healthy. Um, let me let me try this transition. Um, speaking of lack of depth, Justin Fields. Yes, yes, we almost saw the worst case scenario play out again. I, I thought I thought in that split second, I thought I thought that we were seeing it. I think a lot of people did because we saw Justin Fields go down, appeared to be in a lot of pain. What we didn't know at the time was that Justin Fields was already playing on a sprained MCL. He went down late in the Penn State game the week before. We knew he had hurt something. There were there were message board rumors going around last week that he broke his thumb or that it was an ankle injury. And those I think were he wrong. broke yeah. every single part of his body <laughs> according to the message boards. Yes, that uh, message boards. There's there's a lot of stuff on message boards. There's a lot of stuff on message boards this week that we're not going to get into. But Justin Fields, he was hurt. He had a legitimate injury. He he has a sprained MCL. There's a lot of quarterbacks who probably wouldn't be playing if they had a sprained MCL. But if there's one thing we've learned for sure about Justin Fields this year, it's that he is tough and that he does not want to be off the field, and that he is going to play. If he, if he is physically capable of playing, he is going to be on the field. And what we saw from Justin Fields on Saturday, to suffer that injury, go into the tent, what he explained after the game was that he, he was just changing his knee brace. They the, the athletic trainers were taking a look at his knee to make sure he hadn't suffered any more structural damage, but basically the reason he was out was because they were taking off a lighter knee brace that he had been wearing because he didn't want to wear the big one that he ended up putting on after the injury because if you watch the game and you saw the, the brace he was wearing, it was basically like an, a brace an offensive lineman would wear, and as we know, Justin Fields, he's so mobile, he's so athletic, he wants to be able to move as freely as possible. So he didn't want to wear that big brace. But after the scare, had to put it on. Does that. Runs up the sideline. Comes right back into the game. And then his first play in the game. Makes one of the best plays we've seen from him all year. Rolls out to his left. Moving away from pressure. Hits hits Garrett Wilson. Back of the end zone. 30-yard touchdown on his first play back in. Ryan Day after the game, called it a magical moment, a Heisman moment. It was certainly a wow moment. It was That was one of the <laughs> moments of the year that I think will certainly be one of those moments that we remember when we're reflecting on this season at the end of the year. Well, you know what, you know what it did remind me of? Um, it reminded me of after the first game of the year, and I was thinking back on Justin Fields' performance, and I was going like, "Well, where, where were the wow moments? Where, where was him making this spectacular throw or doing this crazy run? That was that. That was it. We just saw it. I mean, it, it took. He he's, he became this sort of ultra efficient quarterback who who ran whenever he needed to. Who always, when he was running, looked to pass downfield, but you always knew that he'd be con- he'd be a threat in the run game. He still has miraculously one interception this season, more than thirty touchdown passes. Um, he 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 hasn't really shown a need to, to make these kinds of plays. That that was that one play. That was the magic play that that 
only a few players in college football can make. Colin, I've been sitting here the past couple weeks thinking, how the heck are we at the end of a regular season right now and we're already in December and the season's almost over? And then you remind me that three months ago you were talking about not being wowed by Justin Fields and that just feels like ancient history to me. It does, because you want to know why Justin Fields has wowed me quite a few times over the past few months. You know what also feels like ancient history? Justin Fields being in a quarterback competition with Matthew Baldwin in the spring and with Gunnar Hoke in the summer. Well, I mean, to be fair, there weren't actual competitions. But this yes, is true. I, it is it is fairly astounding now actually having seen them play that they were even trying to make that um, narrative happen. And hearing the way that Ryan Day talks about him, because you think back to the spring and summer, and he was always kind of lukewarm in his praise of Justin Fields, and I'm sure some of that was coach speak. I'm sure some of that was legitimate development on his part and, and Ryan Day needing to see more than he did in the spring and in the early portion of the summer. But, man, Ryan Day, the way he's talking about Justin Fields now, it's like when Urban Meyer talks about JT Barrett or Tim Tebow. He called him the toughest quarterback he's ever been around after the game. And we're talking about somebody who's in his first year as a starting quarterback. We're talking about somebody who has a guaranteed another year in college next year. And we've reached a point with Justin Fields where, first of all, he's now firmly in the conversation for having the best season by a quarterback in Ohio State history. And we were just having this conversation with Dwayne Haskins last year, but it it looks like his numbers, especially with potentially three more games to go, might end up being better overall than Dwayne Haskins' numbers. And he's got another year to go. So we're now talking about someone who, over the course of two years, if he keeps on this trajectory that he's on, and there's no reason to think, as long as he stays healthy, that he won't, that he could go down as the best quarterback in Ohio State history, or certainly right up there. Yeah, so I know there's a lot... like when when Ryan Day wins the coach of the year, a lot, there's there's a lot that goes into it. But but really, what can't be overlooked is is both landing Justin Fields as a transfer and sort of developing him to the to the point that he's at. Because I think they've talked sort of extensively this year about about um, certain adjustments that they made to Justin Fields in the in the past year. Um, I, I think Justin Fields has said before that he's never before he. Uh, before he enrolled at Ohio State, he had never ever um, had a coach coach him to throw the ball away. Um, he had he there there were these there were these parts of his of his development that I think really needed to happen. Um, and he's so far advanced past where I thought that he would be at this point. Um, he's he's honestly made it look easy. And I think part of that is because this team is super talented. I think that they're being very well coached right now. They do have this singular week-by-week focus that, that does matter for a team of this magnitude. Yet at the same time, I think I think it really does come back to Justin Fields and also J.K. Dobbins, who we haven't touched on yet, but I think we should. Because J.K. Um, both set uh, career highs and, and uh, rushing yards and touchdowns. He had more than 200 rushing yards. He had four touchdowns. You put them to you put both of them in the backfield, and I think that Ohio State legitimately might have two Heisman finalists in their backfield, and, and I think that there's a strong argument that that they could both end up in New York for that. 
yeah, it's it's the best backfield in the country. Yes, I don't really think that there's much of a dispute. Yeah, I, I I really don't either. I I think I think Clemson would make one, but yeah, I think LSU's up there too. I think I think Clyde edwards helaire is mm-hmm. a really good back, and obviously Joe Burrow's having a fantastic season. But just the two superstars that these guys are, because J.K. Dobbins too. Again, here's somebody who is also exceeded our expectations we already knew jk dobbins was a great back but this year you wrote about it after the game on saturday he's gone from being a great back to now putting himself in the category of a legendary ohio state back he's now in the same he's now in the same conversation with ezekiel elliott and eddie george archie griffin of course stands alone and it's going to be hard for him to get there but he has made himself one one of the best running backs in Ohio State history. And let me yeah. say one thing about that too, because I, I think it's not even doing him enough justice to say that he went from great to, to putting himself up with the greats. Because last year he wasn't great. Like if you look at his stats, I think it was four point three yards per carry. Um, he just didn't seem to have whether it be the wiggle, whether it be the finishing on runs. Um, I know par- partially it was it was run blocking, and, and it also could have been like they, they, they couldn't really find a rhythm with him and Mike Weber in the backfield. But he has just unbelievably improved from last year. He he, he honestly, um, I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later with the, with the award finalists, but I mean, there's a there's a strong strong case to be made that he's the best running back in the country right now, and he's playing he's playing alongside a quarterback. He was throwing one interception, and welcome welcome to the to 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 the reason that Ohio State has won every single game by double digits. I completely agree. If, if I had a vote for the Doak Walker Award, I would vote for J.K. Dobbins. I think he has been the best running back in the country this year, and I think he's just running with a lot more confidence. I think I think last year. For whatever reason, he just didn't seem to ever get into a room. It, I don't know if he was second-guessing himself. I, I don't know what the deal was, but he just didn't seem to ever quite get into the rhythm that we thought he was going to get into. And this year, he's been in a rhythm for, since week one, and he, he seems to have a lot of confidence. He he, Like you said, he's finishing his runs physically. Jonathan Taylor, his counterpart in this, this week's upcoming game, and maybe the other best running back in the country actually said when he was asked about J.K. Dobbins earlier this week that he thought J.K. Dobbins doesn't get enough credit for how physical a runner he is and I think that's probably true I think people always talk about his jump cut ability and and such but he has run very physical this year I also just think his his vision has improved I think his patience has improved I think he's just become that complete running back that he always had the ability to be. He's, he's become a better pass catcher. I think three years of development as Ohio State starting running back has just really paid off for him this year. And I think he's somebody now that has put himself in that conversation where he could be a first-round draft pick it come April, and I, I wouldn't have said that going into the year. Yeah, and... Honestly, if you just compare these two teams, Michigan and Ohio State, and what we saw, like I think one of the largest differences we talk about, I think we're, we're probably going to talk a little bit about the, the talent difference, but if you look at their two offenses, like one was balanced and, and one really wasn't. Like one, the Ohio State side, you have Justin Fields, who's, who's playing extraordinarily efficient. Um, 
He's able to hit Chris Olave down the field. Garrett Wilson's a target down the field. Austin Mackman, Victor there. KJ Hill underneath. He's got solid tight ends. And then in the running game, you have, I think, one of the better uh, run-blocking units on the offensive line that you've seen at Ohio State in a few years. And you have J.K. Dobbins behind him. And, like, that right there, it's just really, really difficult to, to defend a balanced attack. And, and Ohio State didn't have that last year. Michigan doesn't have that this year. Um, I think Shea Patterson and Michigan's wide receivers played played pretty well um, this weekend. And at the same time, at no point was Michigan's running game really threatening. Yeah, and you mentioned it with the run blocking. I think we need to give some love to the offensive line. Dominant performance by them, leading the Buckeyes to 264 rushing yards, most of which came from Dobbins, of course, allowed just one sack against a defense that was one of the nation's best coming in. And we've we've given a lot of praise to the offensive line all year. I think they've taken a huge step forward from where last year's offensive line was, but I thought this was maybe their best performance of the entire season. And Ryan Day was talking earlier this week about how he thinks those free interior guys Jonah Jackson, Josh Myers, and Wyatt Davis in particular are the best trio in the country, and I'd be lying if I said I was really studying other offensive lines around the country, but I'd have a a (laughs) hard time thinking that anyone has been better than those three because I think all three of those guys have just performed at a fantastic level this season. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I I thought um, thought Jonah Jackson uh, was possibly the the team's best offensive lineman in the first half of the season. Um, I think you'd make a case that Wyatt Davis has been their best offensive lineman in the second half of the season. I think that Josh Myers has probably been their steadiest offensive lineman. Um, And you put those three together, it's it's pretty devastating to to opponents up front. One other guy I want to talk about on the offense before we move on is we got to talk about Garrett Wilson because we mentioned before him catching the touchdown from Justin Fields. He had three catches – in Saturday's game, and all of them were big plays. There was one where he took a short pass from Justin Fields, turned it into a 41-yard gain. Van Adel also had an impressive 47-yard catch on a deep ball that set up a touchdown. Really made a nice adjustment on what I'd say was an underthrown deep ball by Justin Fields and, and showed those ball skills that made him a five-star recruit that had everyone hyping him up so much coming into the year. Also had the one big mistake on punt return, muffed his second punt in three weeks, but Ryan Day really seemed committed when I asked him about it on Sunday to keeping him on punt returns and having faith in him, and I think that just tells you how much belief that he and the Ohio State coaching staff have in Garrett Wilson's ability because they've talked all year about wanting to see him practice a little bit more consistently and the development that he has to go through as a true freshman, but biggest game of the year, and he steps up and has his biggest game of the year. Yep, and I think that it's possible that, that this continues against Wisconsin and then, um, and obviously the, the playoff game, or playoff games, plural. Um, I will say, the the punt thing, there aren't a lot of things to nitpick Ohio State about, but I you can absolutely nitpick their punt returns because... They just haven't been able to find really anyone who goes back there and gives them two things. One, reliability, and two, uh, game-breaking ability. Because I honestly, I thought Garrett Wilson would probably be that guy. Um, I thought Demario McCall maybe was a little bit loose with the ball, and I thought K.J. Hill 
didn't give a ton um, when it comes to the the actual return. I thought maybe Garrett Wilson would be that that uh, that in between, but I'm not gonna lie. If if I was a coach and I am decidedly not a coach, I would probably put KJ Hill back there at this point. I just think in a in a, in a game that um, it's close in the third quarter, close in the fourth quarter, like that is the kind of that is the kind of mistake that 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 gets you beat. That single mistake and and. I get it; it's the safe play, and and I think Garrett Wilson can can break some, but I think he's shown now a little bit that that he's too loose with the ball. And personally, I I think I think if you put KJ back there, like you're you're probably not going to get more than five six yards on a given return, but at least you know that you're not going to turn the ball over. I completely agree with you because I think if Garrett Wilson does that in a college football playoff game, it could cost them the game. The reason why he's back there is exactly what you said at the start, was, which is this team hasn't had an explosive return game in many years now. And I think, I think Garrett Wilson has the potential to offer that. I think he's got the most potential of anybody, certainly on punt returns, to offer that. But the reason why K.J. Hill was returning punts most of the last couple years was because he is the surest-handed receiver on the team. He was the most reliable guy. And I don't know if you're getting enough out of Garrett Wilson right now to take that chance. He's he's had a couple big plays, but you can't you can't have him making those mistakes. I I respect the faith that Ryan Day is showing in him though because truthfully I don't think Urban Meyer would be showing that same faith. And that's, again, I'm not saying one way is right or wrong. I just think Urban Meyer, the, the way he felt about turnovers, especially on special teams, the first time Garrett Wilson does that, I think he would have been yanked out of that role. Ryan Day seems to be looking at it more. This guy is so talented. We, we want to keep working on it because we really believe he can be a big difference maker for us in this area. But like you said, you've got to wave a risk versus reward. Yep, and I think it's a short-term gamble, too. Like, I don't think he's doing this thinking long-term that Garrett Wilson is this guy, a punt returner. But I think he wants to keep, for the for the next two months, Garrett Wilson's confidence high, um, him thinking that he can do it. And I, I guess they'll probably put him back there on Saturday. But, but I, I'd be surprised if I, they didn't. Yep, I, I would, too. But I, I would personally think KJ is the better option. Let's talk big picture for a minute before we, we wrap up the review of the rivalry game. Ohio State has now beaten Michigan by a combined score of 118-66 to 66 in the past two years. Clearly, there's a big gap between what the Buckeyes and the Wolverines are doing right now. And we thought going into the year, maybe Urban Meyer leaving this rivalry would open the door for Jim Harbaugh and for Michigan to maybe turn the tables to maybe close some ground. Clearly that didn't happen this year. It, it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon because Ohio State just seems to be rolling right now. Is this matchup bound to be lopsided for years to come? I think it's hard to project um, extremely um, in the long term. Like I don't think you project I agree. a decade. I don't think... I think it's hard to project beyond sort of four years, um, beyond what the what the freshman class is and beyond what maybe the 2020 recruiting class looks like right now. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a there there there's a <laughs> there are a lot of advantages that Ohio State has right now that that it's just I think as a Michigan fan you've just got to feel like 
it's it's almost a hopeless feeling because if you're looking at it from a Michigan perspective, it's like how 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 does Michigan come back in this rivalry? How how do they make this um, not even get an advantage on Ohio State, but how do they get this even? And it's hard to imagine because you have the you have now a Michigan coaching staff. You have, you have Jim Harbaugh who's lost to him five times now. Um, so so it's not like you're thinking. Well, I'm, uh, the the end game coaching is going to be a decided edge to Michigan. I don't think you, you can't say that right now. Um, talent uh, gathering is is clearly in Ohio State's favor. Ohio State's had the better recruiting class, and I think for the last five years, and the one year that they technically didn't, they still had a much higher average player rating. I it's it's hard for me to really see a scenario in which. As long as Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh are their head coaches right now, and there's no drastic change in recruiting or, or some some infrastructure on Ohio State's side um, or Michigan side that that it changes, it just it's just hard for me to see that right now. Yeah, we talked last week about how important this win was for both coaches, and I felt like it was most important for Jim Harbaugh, and the reason why is. Exactly that, because now he's 0-5. And now, I think it's really hard to maintain belief in Jim Harbaugh that he can turn this thing around. Because it's been half a decade now, and the results just haven't changed on Michigan's end. And there just seems to be this big gap. And I, I... Personally... I thought maybe Michigan would turn the tables this year. I thought they might last year. I thought they might in 2016. But now, now we're at a point where until it happens, it, 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 it's going to be really hard to see it happening. And I, I, I just don't know. I, I just don't know if Jim Harbaugh is the guy to be able to turn it around. But the problem is, and the reason why he's still not on the hot seat is because if you fire Jim Harbaugh, who's the grand savior that's going to save the day? And I don't know, and that's the problem. Because Jim Harbaugh was supposed to be that guy when he came from the NFL to take over this program. He was supposed to be the guy to make Michigan a national championship contender again. And it hasn't happened, so who's going to do it? There's not that obvious candidate out there. And... The more that Ohio State keeps winning like this, the harder it becomes for anyone to come into Michigan and close that gap. It just seems like there's this growing gap between Ohio State and everybody else. And, and instead of it being Michigan trying to beat Ohio State, it's Michigan trying to stay at the level of Penn State and, and Wisconsin and the rest, of the, the rest of the other sort of second-level teams in the Big Ten and that second tier. Right now, it's just Ohio State and everybody else. Um, and... To me, that's why this game was really important to Ryan Day because it sort of reinforces that point. It's that Ohio State's on a different level right now. And if something slips up with Ohio State, maybe someone can catch them. But it's it's up to Ohio State right now. Um, they're recruiting at an insane level. That's That, that has stayed the same. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's changing. Uh, they're, they're coaching at a really high level. Like right now, you just look in the long term and it's, all right, what if, I don't know, Mark Pantone and Mick Marotti leave an offseason? What if uh, Ryan Day makes a bad coaching hire in two years? Like, you have, to look at, you have to look at these kinds of things down the road because 
I'm not sure how Michigan catches Ohio State. I almost feel like it's the other way around. It's like how how can Michigan stay at the level where on, they're on the second tier and, and they're really and and they're trying to stay as close as they can to Ohio State and wait until Ohio State trips up because they're not tripping up right now. Um, and and it doesn't seem like based on the recruiting glasses that they're going to trip up in, in the next year or two. It's it's it has got to be really depressing to, to be a Michigan fan because you almost feel like is this the new normal? And at least in the short term, it feels like it is. I think you're right. And I, and I think, honestly, from, an, from a completely objective point of view, I honestly don't think that's great for college football or great for the Big Ten because this rivalry, we talk about it being the, the most storied rivalry in college football and, and, and such a big part of the Big Ten and football in the Midwest and I think the sport is better when this rivalry is competitive. And we've seen it now. It just hasn't been. And I agree with you. I I think you're right. I think Penn State has surpassed Michigan. I think Wisconsin has surpassed Michigan. And Ohio State's certainly on a different level. Ohio State's on a different level from everybody right now. Penn State and Wisconsin are probably in that next tier. And Michigan's kind of struggling to hang on to that tier and 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 it's kind of slipping away from them and and they've got to at least stay in that tier if they if they fall out of that tier then harbaugh's gotta go because they've been out of that tier they were they were out of that tier with rich rod so they've got to stay in that tier if they if they fall out of that tier then they've got to make a change but you're right i think if you're a michigan fan right now you you have to reset expectations because as much as beating Ohio State and winning the Big Ten East and winning Big Ten titles is supposed to be the goal, it, it just doesn't seem all that realistic, at least in the very near term. So you want to talk about another team that is on Michigan's <laughs> tier? Yeah, I knew we were going to segue to this somehow out of this conversation. And yeah, I think as we look ahead to this Big Ten championship game this week, because of all the things you just talked about, about how Ohio State's on a different level from everyone else right now, it's a little bit hard to get hyped up for this Big Ten Championship game this week because we already saw Ohio State play Wisconsin. We saw Ohio State beat Wisconsin 38-7. to And now rematches are weird, but it's still hard to really see this game going a drastically different way. It's It's... It's hard to envision, even though Wisconsin is ranked 8th in the country and they're a very good team, it's just hard to see unless Ohio State really doesn't show up or Wisconsin has some completely different game plan that I'm not sure it has in its arsenal. It's hard to see this game going a whole lot different than the first one. We were so close to an interesting matchup. There, there, there was a moment there where it looked like it could be Minnesota, and while the Golden Gophers probably would have gotten steamrolled by Ohio State, at least it would have been fresh, it would have been new. I think Michigan's passing game would have been able to test an Ohio State secondary that got a little bit exposed um, against Michigan in the first half. Um, that would have been an interesting test. Instead, we get what just feels like the most dull option and, and one that like we've literally just seen, I think that we all have an idea of what it'll play out, and it's all pretty much the same. And it's pretty similar. I think, at least in my head, 
to what happened in the first game, which was, a, I think, a 31-point win for Ohio State. Yep. Yeah, it's it's always more interesting to see, see them play a different team. Or, or at least a team that they didn't beat by more than four touchdowns. <laughs> well, yes, that too. If, if it had been a three-point game against Wisconsin the first time around, we'd probably be looking forward to a rematch. But when it was a lopsided game, it, it does make it a lot harder to hype up this game. So I don't know how hard we're going to try. Uh, because... No, we're not going to hype up the game. I mean, this game is this game is pretty simple. I mean, it's the same game that we've talked about before. There's really, to me, only one interesting matchup, and it's and it's not even guys who play against each other. It's J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor, and it's because they're despite what happened in the first game, um, there still is this pervasive feeling sort of throughout. I think I think probably the country more than the Big Ten. I think. I think a lot of people in the Big Ten have seen what J.K. Dobbins has done, but it's it's another opportunity for me, um, at least in my mind, uh, for J.K. Dobbins to, to have um, another performance on the same field as Jonathan Taylor and, and tell the world, hey, uh, I think I'm better than, than this other guy. Yeah, and I, if I were to guess, I'm going to guess that J.K. is going to outrush Jonathan Taylor again because the one team that's been able to consistently stop Jonathan Taylor has been Ohio State, and that doesn't that doesn't mean they're going to bottle them up completely again. He he is a great running back. Not going to take he anything is. away from Jonathan Taylor. He's one of the two or three best running backs in the country, and he's certainly capable of having a big game against any opponent. But Ohio State's run defense has been very good this year. They handled them the first time. We are going to be in a different environment here with playing – indoors versus playing in bad weather but I think that plays to Ohio State's advantage because I think it allows Ohio State to put its speed on display more and and I I think that probably helps Ohio State's defense in its effort to stop Jonathan Taylor and the Wisconsin running game so yeah it's just it's just hard to really look at anything in in this game in terms of a matchup of of players who are going to be going up against each other and just seeing this be really different. And and granted, I don't think it should be forgotten that Ohio State's first game against Wisconsin was 10-7 early in the third quarter. So if this wasn't a game that Ohio State just boat raced Wisconsin from the start, this was a game that it took some time for Ohio State to get to the point where they ultimately pulled away and blew them out, kind of like the game we saw this past week against Michigan. And Wisconsin was one of the two or three best teams Ohio State played during the regular season. I'm not surprised that they won the Big Ten West, they beat Minnesota, and they ended up in this game. But I think unless the Buckeyes just don't show up for this game, and we haven't seen that happen all year, so... I think it's I think it's a little bit weird. I mean, you look at rematches. Ohio State has had one rematch in since the turn of the twentieth century. That was against UCLA in nineteen seventy five. And here's what you don't want to hear. So Ohio State lost in that game. They had an undefeated season and would have been national champions if they won that game and they lost to UCLA in the Rose Bowl. So Ohio State does not want that ha- to happen again, but I can't really speak much about 1975. I know there's 
some people out there, I don't know, I don't know what the demographics are of our podcast, but I'm sure there's some of you out there who do remember that game and, and do know more about it. I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about it because I was negative 17 years old at the time. Here, here's, here's what I'll assume about it. I'll just assume that both teams ran the same offense that Wisconsin will run on Saturday. Well, Ohio State had Archie Griffin, so I, I would say that Ohio State ran the ball a lot. Probably safe to assume. I, I would imagine so. Well, so my I think the thing um, that I think about when when uh, this is this being the second time that they're facing each other is I'm not really sure what Wisconsin's offense is going to do that's going to be um, really notably different. Like this is this is a Wisconsin offense that I think we have an idea of what it will be like. Um, I don't think it's able to change that much. I think this is sort of just the machine. Like, you plug and play. Like, you plug in Jonathan Taylor, you plug in these offensive linemen, you roll. And then, as so often has has happened in the past uh, few years, then they face a team that's as talented as Ohio State, that has the defense that Ohio State has, that has someone like Devon Hamilton in the middle, Chase Young on the edge, uh, these, these linebackers who are playing really well. And all of a sudden, it just it's hard to move the ball. And like honestly, I, I just see that exact scenario happening again. I'm not sure that there's going to be any there's not going to be any giant wrinkles that Wisconsin's going to throw. They're not going to come out and run four wide or anything. You know what you're going to get. I think the more interesting part is on the other side of the ball because, like you said, Ohio State only had ten points at the half um, against Wisconsin. I am interested to see. Uh, how Ryan Day and, and the offensive staff makes adjustments because this is a Wisconsin D that that is that is pretty sturdy um, and hypothetically could could challenge them. Yet at the same time, I I, I don't I don't imagine that something's going to happen unless Ohio State makes drastic errors to to make this a really tight competitive game into the fourth quarter. I mean I say that <laughs> having seen none of those types of games this year, so there's a lot of confidence when I say that. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you because in past years, it felt like if we talked like that, if we talked about, oh, a game's going to be a blowout, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't turn out that way. But this year, it's like we try to we try to hype up a game and say it's going to be close, and then it's just the same story all over again. So, no, we're not going to do that this week. We're, we're, until we see something different in this Ohio State team, and again, next time we're talking about a game, it's probably going to be a college football playoff game. So then we're going to be talking about a game that really will have the potential to be close. But I just don't see it. I just don't see it in this game. Like you said, I don't think Wisconsin has an identity. Even Paul Christ, when he was asked about it earlier this week, talked about he was talking about the fine line between trying to do things new but not abandoning what's worked well for you all year. And Wisconsin knows what its identity is. Wisconsin has had a very clear identity for decades, and it knows what it is. And I'm sure they will have some new wrinkles. I think I think Jack Cohn has thrown the ball a little bit more down the stretch, so I think there's maybe something that Wisconsin can do, take to the air a little bit more, take the ball out of Jonathan Taylor's hands a little bit more. But... Like you said, this isn't an offense that's going to run four wide sets and it's going to all of a sudden be a spread air attack. That's just not what Wisconsin is, and I, I don't, I don't see Wisconsin doing anything drastically different than what we always see from Wisconsin. I'm sure the defense will have some different looks. Chris Orr, their linebacker, actually talked 
on Monday about how Ohio State had actually designed a play to work against them. The backdoor read four eye, as we called it, and we'd probably have to bring Kyle Jones on here to actually explain that because I'd be lying if I told you I knew exactly what that was. But essentially, Ohio State had a better game plan for Wisconsin's defense as Ohio State's offenses seemingly had for every opponent all year. And when you talk about adaptability that's so key in a rematch like this, I think especially on offense, Ohio State is a far more adaptable team than Wisconsin. So that would make one think that a rematch plays in Ohio State's favor. You would think that playing indoors versus playing in bad weather would play in Ohio State's favor. So when I look at the spread for this game, it started at 18. It's now down to 16, 16 and a half. I think it's going in the wrong direction. Yeah, maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe this is maybe I'm just totally missing something. Um, but having watched this Ohio State team now play 12 dominant games, I'm not exactly sure what would make people bet on Wisconsin. I think if you're betting on Wisconsin, you're banking on something fluky happening because it's a rematch or you're banking on the Buckeyes not being able to get up for this one fully coming off of a couple tough games this game certainly isn't being as hyped as those last couple games so I can see there being a little bit of a letdown I think I think Ohio State's defense might be a little more vulnerable than it was in the first matchup because we've seen the last few weeks I think Ohio State's defense has looked a little bit more vulnerable at times, and maybe teams are starting to find a few things that they weren't earlier in the year. But nonetheless, I still think that Wisconsin is probably going to be overmatched in this game, and I think it's probably probably going to be a pretty lopsided game. I think we had a conversation about this with a couple of our colleagues the other day, and you think back to 2014 when Ohio State beat Wisconsin 59 nothing in the Big Ten Championship game and how shocking that was. And I'm not predicting 59 nothing, but I can't say I'd be shocked if it happened this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what I would be shocked about is if Wisconsin uh, won. <laughs> that, that would probably yeah. be, that would shock me a lot more than 59 nothing, which tells you a lot about this conference championship game. So let's move on to talking about the college football playoff then because clearly you and I are both assuming that Ohio State is going to beat Wisconsin. And yes. We'll have, we'll have, if Wisconsin wins, we are both going to have egg on our face next week. But if we, as, if we assume that Ohio State is going to win this game against Wisconsin, sitting at number one right now, I will be surprised if Ohio State isn't number one on Sunday if it beats Wisconsin. LSU does have a game against number four Georgia this week. So it's certainly not out of a question that LSU jumps up. That's a big game. I think especially if LSU beats Georgia convincingly, which I don't know if that will happen. My feeling would be Ohio State is going to have a more lopsided win over Wisconsin and that LSU will have a more competitive game with Georgia. But 
let's say LSU blows out Georgia and Ohio State has a close game with Wisconsin, then I think that would open the door for LSU to potentially move up to number one. But I think the way the two teams stack up right now, Ohio State currently has more wins over ranked teams than LSU, which College Football Playoff Selection Committee Chairman Rob Mullins in his ever-changing justification for his rankings every week. This week, the big point seemed to be Ohio State has four top 20 wins. LSU has only three. So, Ohio State's got that. It's still going to have that if both teams win because Ohio State will then have five wins over ranked teams and LSU will have four. And Wisconsin moved up to number eight this week. So, presumably, Ohio State should get a lot of credit for that win, especially if it wins big. So, I think Ohio State's sitting in a great spot right now. I think Ohio State is going to be the number one seed if it wins on Saturday. What's your level of confidence on that? My level of confidence is pretty high. The, the way I view it is is they put Ohio State back to number one a little bit before I expected them to, and then Ohio State strengthened its case with a, with a win against a top 15 Michigan team winning by nearly 30 points. Um, I think for them to slip out of number one, I think like multiple things have to happen. I mean, even the minor things, like if Cincinnati loses uh, their conference tally game, like maybe that would hurt Ohio State's case a little bit, especially if it fell further than expected. Um, if Ohio State were to win by just a couple points um, and Georgia happened to get absolutely blown out by LSU, uh, I think that that would, I think that would matter. I think that if Ohio State's defense, I think last week, you saw a little bit of crack in the first half with, with the passing game. If Ohio State's defense, literally, this would be literally for the first time all season, really just fell apart. Like, all of a sudden, that completeness argument sort of would get a little bit more shaky. But, like, that's a lot of things happening and a lot of things that I don't really foresee happening. So, so my level of confidence that, that Ohio State stays at number one is pretty high. I get that I get that beating Georgia is a little bit better of a win than beating Wisconsin. Like that absolutely has to be factored in. Like that is the reason why we would have this conversation. But beating Michigan was also a better win than beating Texas A and M and Ohio State was already at number one. The way I see Ohio State's pretty pretty I think I think that's I don't think Ohio State's gonna move for one provided like four things <laughs> go against them. I will say, I've, I've put my tinfoil hat on with a committee before on this podcast. So I'm going to do it again for... You have. I think a, you spread it a, the first time. A quick minute. And and I, I don't... And like I just said, I'm in agreement with Colin. I think Ohio State's going to be the number one seed. I will be surprised if Ohio State wins on Saturday. Unless LSU is clearly, clearly more impressive against Georgia than Ohio State against Wisconsin. I'd be surprised if Ohio State's not the number one seed. But... The one thing I the one thing I think is interesting, and I don't I don't know whether the committee does this or not. The, my understanding is that the committee's primary goal is to put teams based on the seeding is to put the number one seed where it will have the, the bigger advantage over the number four seed in terms of location. So if you look at the way it's set up right now, Ohio State. If Ohio State's number one, LSU and Clemson are two and three. Number four, assuming LSU beats Georgia in this scenario, number four is probably going to be Utah if it wins the Pac-12 championship or whoever wins Oklahoma-Baylor for the Big 12 championship. 
Therefore, Atlanta would be the logical destination for Ohio State and most likely would be where they would play. But it really does not make financial sense for a college football playoff to send LSU and Clemson out to Arizona. I would think there would be a lot of people involved in this process that if LSU is going to play Clemson, they would want those two teams playing in Atlanta. They do not want to send the SEC and the ACC teams out to Arizona for their playoff semifinal. So my question is, does the committee, does that factor into the decision at all? If it's close, but maybe they would like to move LSU up to the number one seed and have LSU play in Atlanta, or is Ohio State the number one seed, and regardless of what Ohio State wants, the committee just decides, we're going to put you in Arizona anyway. It's quite the tinfoil hat you had on right there. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I guess I can't say anything with certainty, but I feel pretty confident that that's not the case. I think that if that were the case, I don't think, <laughs> I think that hypothetical, in this hypothetical scenario, they're playing the long game, and I don't think they would, they would have put Ohio State back at number one. So they didn't have to, but they did that. So, um, no, I don't think that's the case, but, but. I think that there should be a once-a-week segment where you just put on a tinfoil hat and you just drop some crazy uh, conspiracy theory. Look, I, I just know my dad's one of my dad's favorite phrases is it's it's all about the almighty buck, and it's about how money money drives everything. And I just I just wonder about that because I will say all those fan bases travel like the top three fan bases travel. I I, I honestly. I think you'd put the game in any any state in this country, and I'm pretty sure that those three fan bases will travel. No question. And and, and truthfully, I know that it I know that one team would be way closer than the other. But I think if Ohio State played Utah in the Fiesta Bowl, I think it would be a pro Ohio State crowd. Even though oh, Utah's yeah. way I feel way closer to Arizona. I don't think it would be even close. I think it would be a very pro Ohio State crowd, and I don't, I don't really think it matters because you're there for a whole week anyway. It's it's not like a regular road game where you're traveling on Friday. And if if you know next year when Ohio State goes to Oregon, we might be talking about this in terms of traveling on a Friday and and getting used to the time zone changes and all that. But in a game like this, you're out there long enough before a game that I, I really don't think it matters anyway in terms of a competitive standpoint unless one team just clearly has a home field advantage and I don't think Ohio State has to worry about that anyway but it is going to be interesting just to see how it plays out in terms of where they put Ohio State because there's not there's not necessarily that obvious answer whereas if LSU or Clemson is the number one seed Clemson's not going to be number one seed unless Ohio State and LSU both lose. But if one of them was the number one seed, they'd be in Atlanta. With Ohio State, it's there's more of a question because it's not like either one is super close. And in, in this scenario where Ohio State stays at number one, who's who's the possible number four seed that's most dangerous for the Buckeyes? I think I'd have to say Oklahoma because I think with Jalen Hurts and CeeDee Lamb and some of the offensive weapons they have, I think they are the most dangerous. I think they have the most ability to score with Ohio State. I think Utah's a more complete team than Oklahoma, 
but I just don't know if they have the talent to hang with Ohio State. Truthfully, I think Ohio State would win big over both of them. So, maybe not the best hype-up argument for the potential game that we could be talking about for three weeks. But, I think the top three are so much better than everyone else right now. I, I think there's a huge gap between the top three. And that's why, if you're Ohio State, you really want to be that number one seed. And it really does matter to be the number one seed. Because, I think... I think the games between Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson, whatever two games I think will happen in the semifinal of a national championship, I think those are both going to be great games. I think the game with the other team has very big blow-up potential. Yeah, I, I view. I think I agree with you that that Oklahoma is is a little bit more the the more dangerous team, and it's really because. On one side of the ball, they're elite. On one side of the ball, they're hard to stop. Um, and on one side of the ball, they're fast and have talent. And I think they'd be the best offense that Ohio State has faced this year. And I got, you're right, Utah is more complete, but, but the talent does matter. Um, and I think Ohio State right now is really complete. And Ohio State is, like, if you're going to put two really complete teams together, I'm going to take the one that's more talented and not think twice. At least Oklahoma poses a challenge um, with their with their offense that I think would be really difficult for Ohio State to defend, even though Ohio State's defense is really strong. So, so in the hypothetical scenario, you're right. I think I would pick Ohio State to win both of them. But um, if I were the Buckeyes, I would rather face Utah um, than Oklahoma. Last quick point before we move on. If Wisconsin beats Ohio State, does Ohio State still make the playoff? Yeah, it's hard for me to say with certainty because we're dealing with a few people in a room that we never get to talk to except for the one dude, <laughs> and he always obfuscates what they actually say in the room. But he's so he's so boring that Colin doesn't even remember his name. He's just for one dude. No, you want to know why? Because like that's I'm just doing it justice. Those quotes they're for one dude. Um, and the, let me tell you, I will call I will call whoever is the Nets committee chairman that one dude because. They're gonna have the exact same level of interesting quotes, which is that zero. is the that is the number one criteria for being the college football playoff selection committee chairman is you have to be extremely boring. As a yeah, there's a reason why Gene Smith was never the chairman because he would be too interesting. Um, and yeah, I think they would. I think they would be, and I think that they that they have a strong enough resume. I think, like I've said over and over, like them being one and and sort of. When we didn't really expect them to be number one, we thought maybe there would have to be an extra week. Um, I think that that matters. I think that I understand that they wouldn't have a conference championship, but both the body of work and the, and the just the domination that they've exacted this entire year, I think that that would get them. That would get them number one. I mean, they have the best point differential by like four points per game. They're beating teams thirty by thirty-eight points a game. It, they, they're they're top ten in basically every single major statistical category. Which, another reason why I don't think they're going to lose, but in this hypothetical scenario, if they do lose, um, I think I think it, it's just really difficult to make a case that this is not this would not be one of the, the four most deserving and four best teams. I agree. I think you would have the outrage from people who do not like Ohio State of 
if Ohio State got in as a one-loss non-conference champion over a one-loss Utah conference champion or a one-loss Oklahoma or Baylor conference champion, but I think if you ask the question, who's the better team, who who is a legitimate contender to win the national champion, I don't know how you could objectively argue that one of those teams would be better than Ohio State. So I agree. I think Ohio State's in. I, I don't think it's going to matter. I think it does matter to win because I think you want to be the number one seed, but I'd be surprised at this point if a Buckeyes got left out. I think their resume is very strong. Anarchy? Nope, just college football. <laughs> okay, John Rothstein. Okay. Speaking of that, we are going to talk for a couple minutes about basketball, and we got to get to your questions, but did want to talk real quick about Big Ten Awards came out on Tuesday, and the big headline from that, for the first time in 40 years, Ohio State has a Big Ten Coach of the Year. Urban Meyer was never Big Ten Coach of the Year. Jim Tressel was never Big Ten Coach of the Year. But Ryan Day is Big Ten Coach of the Year from the media. Not the coaches, but the media panel of voters, which actually included yours truly for some reason this year, voted for Ryan Day to be Big Ten Coach of the Year. He did, he did get my vote. I absolutely felt that Ryan Day deserved to be Big Ten Coach of the Year. I think when you're a first-year coach, you go 12-0, and you have the most dominant team in the country – how are you not your conference coach of a year? So I think the media got it right. No disrespect to P.J. Fleck. I think he had a fantastic year at Minnesota. But I, I think the year Ryan Day had absolutely is deserving of this award. The crazy thing is just thinking that with everything that Urban Meyer and Jim Trussell accomplished, that neither of them ever won it. Yeah. Um, I think P.J. Fleck had a really strong case. I mean, I honestly, I didn't, didn't really realize how long it had been since they had, since Minnesota had double digit win seasons like they did it in 2003 and before then they hadn't done it since 1905 so like what he's doing is is really unprecedented there like he deserves the credit and I think if he had won over, over Ryan Day which he did in one of the two um, I think I think it is deserved but you're right uh, I think going into the year uh, there, there 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 were a lot of people who who expected Ryan Day to go somewhere between nine and three and eleven and one, and if there were people picking eleven one or twelve and zero, it was a lot based on the talent. It wasn't necessarily the coaching. Um, he has made everything just look so seamless. Um, he's put a, he's put his stamp on the program in, in little ways, yet at the same time, he's I think. Um, used the, the, the infrastructure that, that Urban Meyer built to the best of his advantage, both um, on the field and games, off the field, on the recruiting trail. And he's just made it, he's made it look easy. He's made, he's, made this, he's made this transition so simple. I think his in-game coaching has been really solid. Um, he, it seems like he's built great relationships with the players. He, there, there really are no complaints that, that, that people have about Ryan Day, and there shouldn't be right now. Uh, that's why he won the war. I think it's. I think it's absolutely deserving. Offensive All Big Ten awards haven't been announced yet. They are will be announced at Wednesday at five p.m. So chances are good by the time you're listening to this, they will have already been announced, but not yet. So we can't talk about them yet. But Chase Young was Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Don't think we really need to talk about that. I think everybody could have guessed that Chase Young would be Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, as he absolutely should be. Also, Big Ten Defensive Lineman of the Year, 
which means Ohio State has now had five Big Ten defensive linemen of the year in the last six years. Probably would have gone six of six if Nick Bosa didn't get hurt last year. So you can add that line to Larry Johnson's recruiting pitch as Ohio State's defensive line coach. By this time next week, we will know who the Heisman finalists are. So let's call our shots. Which of the three Buckeyes are going to make it to New York and who finishes highest in the Heisman voting? Um, I think that Justin Fields is... is um I think he's the one who I feel strongest about. I think that he'll be there. Um, the other two's the other two's really hard. If if Chase had not been suspended, I would feel very confident in putting him there. But there's this part of me that wonders whether um, voters will actually vote for him. Yet at the same time, I think I think just nationally, he's more well regarded than than J.K. Dobbins. I think in I. I still think that Jonathan Taylor will get more Heisman votes than, than J.K. Dobbins. I think only one Big Ten running back is ultimately going to get invited to New York. So I think I'll go with Justin Fields and Chase Young. And it's not that I don't think J.K. Dobbins is deserving. I think that I think that J.K. Dobbins is like not played in essentially three games just based on him sitting out in the second half and fourth quarters of games. Um, I think his stats back it up. I think he's playing at an incredibly high level. I think he's probably the best running back in America right now. But, but I, I don't think that he'll get invited. I agree with you. I think all three of them are deserving, but I don't think there's going to be three finalists from Ohio State. I do think there's going to be two. I think Chase Young and Justin Fields are going to end up in New York. I think there's a very good chance they could finish 2-3. I, I think Joe Burrow's going to win. I, I, I think... I don't know what it would take. I'm not really sh- I I think at this point, Joe Burrow might be so far ahead. And I don't think he's going to lay an egg in the SEC Championship game. I think he's going to play well in the SEC Championship game and, and cement himself for the award. Second place really might depend on what happens this weekend. Right now, though, I'm, I'm going to guess that Chase Young finishes second and that Justin Fields finishes third. I think if Justin Fields has a big game this week, I think he has a chance to get to second. And I think... Chase Young probably needs a big game this week to finish second because he didn't have a big game against Michigan. But I do think there's... I don't really think the suspension's going to hurt him that much. I think most of the voters nowadays aren't, aren't going to put too much stock of that. It, 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 it's going to hurt him enough to where he's not going to win the award, but I'm not sure that would have changed anyways. My guess is they both end up in the top three. They both go to New York and... Honestly, with as many votes as Burrow's going to get, I think there's a chance that it ends up being only three finalists and it ends up being two current Buckeyes and a former Buckeye. Shoot, so. they, should just, they should just send one person. I mean, the funny thing is this year, like oftentimes where the, the college football landscape is having debates about who should be the Heisman. This year, it's just like who should be the Heisman finalist. Like Joe Burrow I mean, could probably, like I'm not kidding, Joe Burrow could throw six interceptions and lose by 35, and I think he's still the Heisman. Probably, if only because a lot of people have probably already cast their votes <laughs> or are true. going to cast their votes this week, and most of those votes are going to be for Joe Burrow. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's really any suspense over who's going to win it. I think Joe Burrow has pretty much locked he He's locked it up so much that the sportsbook bet online actually took the Heisman odds off the board because they determined that nobody else has a chance to win it. So, I think Burrow will win, but... They have to invite at least three finalists, and I'd be shocked if at least one of them was not a Buckeye. A current Buckeye, that is. Yep, I agree with that. 
Big basketball game coming up tonight, so let's talk about that. Colin, you're in Chapel Hill. As of the time that people are listening to this, you will be in Chapel Hill. Oh, that's a lot. I will be in the Atlanta airport or or in the sky. You will be en route to Chapel Hill because... You will be you, your flight is taking off by the time that this will be published on elevenwarriors.com. So, I I can say that that you will be on route to Chapel Hill, but you will be there. Biggest game of the year by far for Ohio State to this point. Colin, you're you're the basketball expert here. What are you looking for in this game? What what are the things that you think we're gonna learn about the Buckeyes on Wednesday night? Yeah, I almost feel like we should zoom by, zoom past this real quick because I'm probably going to say some things that are going to look really dumb um, within 24 hours of this podcast uh, being published because I think that there is a lot to learn about this team in this game um, because there are some key things that we just haven't seen yet. Like I think number one, as much as anything, this team literally hasn't played on the road yet, and it's yeah. December December 4th as the time this publishes. Like. That's that's pretty wild for a team that Chris Holtman has consistently called the youngest team he's ever coached. A team that has EJ Liddell and TJ Carton, who are freshmen who have never ever been in a road environment and who are going to play probably at least twenty minutes a game. Um, EJ EJ after the first game, he, he had said that he was sitting on the bench and DJ turned over to him and he said it was before the game and he said, "Do you have you have butterflies right now?" And EJ said, "No, I'm cool." And then he admitted, like a week later, like he was so he was so nervous. Like they're about to go into enemy territory, having twenty thousand fans, um, UNC fans wearing wearing that Carolina blue. Um, we we just have not seen Ohio State in an environment like that, and it changes things, and especially the way that North Carolina plays. Like, North Carolina is going to get up and down on on Ohio State in a way that no team that they've played yet has, especially with the athletes that they have. I mean, it all begins with Cole Anthony who I think anybody who watches the game is going to hear a lot about because he has a really high usage rate for, for the Tar Heels. Here's their point guard. He's probably going to be a top-five pick um, in the, in next, uh, next summer in the NBA. Um, he's Greg Anthony's son. He is, he is a big-time scorer. Um, it'll be interesting to see him and DJ Carton match up when they do because obviously they're both these freshmen who um, were five-star freshmen, really highly regarded. Um and I'm not exactly sure how Ohio State um, will defend him yet. I'm, I'm interested to see how they handle him because Ohio State, is its defense thus far has been pretty spectacular. And this is by far the best offense that I think that they've faced. It's... I can't say that I expected to be at this point, but I hear you talk about Ohio State basketball, and I feel like we're talking about Ohio State football right now. Going on the road, biggest test of the year. We'll see. <laughs> it's true. We'll see. We'll see if Chris Holtman's squad handles this challenge. You know, you know what's well. funny? You know what's funny too? Like this is the third time now for the basketball team that I've said it's their biggest test. I mean, if we're counting, I, I guess I counted Cincinnati there, which like yeah, literally the first game is their biggest test. Congrats, Colin. But um, we saw him handle Villanova. Yeah, Villanova was the other one, and now North Carolina. Um, I think that. I think the pace is going to be really interesting because Ohio State, it's not that they play super slow, but they definitely have a slower, a relatively slower pace, and North Carolina loves to push it. And I think last year Ohio State would have been really been in trouble in that kind of game because if North Carolina got out on the break and if they started running, 
I don't think Ohio State really would have had the horses in the backcourt last year. But now, like, if you ask DJ Carton, when does Chris Holtman tell you to push the ball, he'll say every time I get the ball. And it's a delicate balance in my mind when you go to a team and when you go against a team like North Carolina where if you do that, then you're really playing North Carolina's game. And you don't want to do that. And at the same time, like that's a really key aspect of DJ Carton's game that separates him from everybody else. So you have DJ Carton who's going on the road for his first road game, playing in this environment, matching up with Cole Anthony. I think they're going to need something pretty substantial out of him to get the win. It's a big test for him. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty psyched to see what he can do. It's a really uneducated prediction on my part because I haven't watched North Carolina basketball play. I don't I don't pay much attention to college basketball until after football season is over. But Lord of most of our listeners, so we gotta get back to football, Dan. But <laughs> I'm just gonna say that I'm just gonna pick Ohio State to win this game. North Carolina's favored <laughs> by two and a half points, but Ohio State ranked sixth, North Carolina seventh. I think this, from what I've seen, this Ohio State basketball team is really impressive. We'll find out how good they are on Wednesday night. Yeah, I, I think a little, a few hours ago, I was feeling more confidence in this, but but I think I'm going to pick Ohio State to win by by just a slight bit too. Um, it comes like this could they? I'm I'm not kidding you. Like they could go in there and lose by thirty. Um, that, that is no lie. Like, this is a scenario on the table. We just haven't seen this team in this environment against this type of team. But I'm going to pick Ohio State to win slightly. I think there are a few reasons. One, I do think DJ Carton, he's he's a he's a mature he's a mature guy. Um, I think he's going to handle that matchup pretty well. He has C.J. Walker with him, too, who Chris Holman has said is a future coach. Um, I think you have them in the backcourt. I think that that's pretty solid. I think... Cole Anthony has been really good. At the same time, he's been a little bit inefficient. If they can get him off his game a little bit, um, that's pretty difficult. Uh, Caleb Wesson and Kyle Young in the post are going to be really key. They're facing what will probably be their best matchup um, of the year thus far. Yet I think that the way that Caleb's played, I think that there's a little bit more he can give them on offense. I think he has this versatility um, that that makes him a real weapon um, on that side of the ball. And on defense, he's played really well too. I just – I think – I, I think – that combined with with the fact that Ohio State has held every single opponent under forty percent shooting, um, I don't I don't necessarily think they're going to do that against Carolina. But I think that their defense is playing well as a whole. They're playing they're playing together. Um, Dwayne Washington and Luther Muhammad have been playing a lot more consistently on both ends of the court. Um, unless something strange happens that that um, that happens on the road. I feel pretty confident in, in, in a few key aspects of this team. Now, I, that is a big caveat because, I, I mean, Chris Holman said it on, on Tuesday as well. Like, there is this part of you that, that really doesn't know what it's going to get from a team on the road. But I, th- I do think this team's pretty special. I, I do think that it's also pretty young, um, and that's where the uncertainty comes in. But but I think, I think Ohio State really is going to hang in there. I'll pick them to win by just one or two. I, I think it's going to be a great game. If it's Thursday or Friday by now and you're listening to this, if Ohio State Oh, I, I just looked really dumb on Thursday or Friday. Hopefully, hopefully you just skipped over that section. If Ohio State won, hopefully you listened to it all and we sound like geniuses. If you're not a basketball fan and you're still hanging on here, that probably means you asked us a question that you want us to answer. So let's get into that now. 
BRB and 64, I don't, I don't know if I pronounced that right, but the BR band, whatever it is, asked, their question was, if anyone has broken down what, if anything significant, Wisconsin has changed between their game against us and now, I'd be interested to hear. Yeah, we kind of talked about this earlier. I'll be honest, I haven't crunched a lot of Wisconsin film because... <laughs> I haven't, I'm going to be honest, I haven't crunched any Wisconsin film because I have an idea of what this game is going to be like. And, yeah, and, exactly. And, yeah. and to be honest, it's it's this one word in this question, significant. Like, what, what has Wisconsin changed that's significant? Like, Wisconsin can't change anything that's significant. Wisconsin is Wisconsin. They they, they yeah. have the, they have what they do, they do it well, and Ohio State has seen it and they've beat it. So... Have they changed certain things? I'm sure they have. Have they changed anything yeah, I, significant? I don't. I don't believe so. Yeah, I just don't see it. I know Ryan Day saying this week that they're a completely different team now, but my my impression is that's coach speak. Just looking at what Wisconsin's done over the past month, again without really watching them, I don't really see that they've done anything significantly different. Their their defense has actually been worse in the second half of the year than it was in the first half of the year. So. They're, they're not, their defense has not played at the same level in the last six games as it did in the first six games. Maybe that's just playing better opponents. I don't know. But their defense is basically at the same level. Their offense has continued to be a heavy Joseph Jonathan Taylor in most games. So, yeah, I don't think we're going to see anything significantly different. I'm sure they're going to try to throw a few wrinkles in there, but I think for the most part it's going to be traditional Wisconsin. FeedZeke420 asks us... That's a great name. It is. It is It is a good name. If 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 you're uh, partaking in 420 activities, then you probably do need to be fed. But uh, his question is, which potential playoff opponent makes you the most nervous? What is your reasoning? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I, I think Clemson is the toughest matchup for Ohio State because I think... Ohio State and Clemson are the two most complete teams in terms of both offense and defense. Clemson's been playing as well as anybody. Ohio State and LSU deserve to be ranked ahead of Clemson because their schedules are tougher, but Clemson's been playing really good football. Really, ever since that escape against North Carolina, they've dominated everybody they've played. From a talent perspective, they're probably the team that can match up with Ohio State the best. I, I I feel very confident in that answer saying I, I think Clemson is the most dangerous opponent for Ohio State. It's Clemson for three quick reasons. They got a great quarterback, their talent is pretty equal to Ohio State, and they're complete. Question two, is the basketball team a legit top ten team? In your opinion, what is their ceiling? I think the first question, again, we'll know more about that after we see what they do against North Carolina. So that one we might have to answer next week. Colin, I'll 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 give you the second one. In your opinion, what is this team's ceiling right now? Yeah, if you ask me in a month, I'll have a heck of a lot better idea because they're about to play North <laughs> yeah. Carolina, Penn State, Minnesota, West Virginia, and Kentucky this month. So <laughs> I can I can guess. Like I think I like if literally like could they go to the Final Four? Like, is there a world? Is there a yeah, world we're where, where there's a hundred scenarios like? It, do do two of them end up in the final four? Like, yeah, I think that that's conceivable. Yeah. Like, do I think that's likely? No, but but I think this is a talented team. It's a really young team. 
there's a lot of development that needs to happen on this team, and a lot of it will happen during the season, the next few months, and it's just really hard to predict right now. Um, I think it can be. Um, I think it can have a really high ceiling, but, but I'd be lying to you right now if I said that I had a really good handle on what to expect in the postseason. Like, I did it. I did um, maybe last year. Like, it wasn't I, – I don't think I was going to project them to go any further than they ended up. Um but this year, I think it could go anywhere from maybe as the year goes on, they don't develop as, as much as maybe you would hope, and they end up being, uh, I don't know, a 5-6 seed, and, and it could go the other way where they end up being a 2 seed or something. I could see that. Yeah, and I think I think basketball is so different than football in terms of when we talk about ceiling versus floor of teams, especially if the way the NCAA tournament is. I think I think ceilings and floors are a lot bigger in basketball. So I don't I'm not gonna say I think Ohio State's a top four basketball team right now, but do I yeah. think they could get to the final four? Sure. Yeah, they, it's they, like they could. Do I think they that could. they could do I think they're gonna win the Big Ten? Like I wouldn't predict that right now, but I sure they absolutely can, especially with the way that I think Michigan State has stumbled a little bit right now. Gin and Juice, who always ask questions, so we thank you Shout for out. we thank you for always asking us questions every week. He asked, "Does J.K. cement Vidok Walker with another dominant performance over Jonathan Taylor in this game?" We talked about this before. If I had a vote for J.K. Dobbins, I think he deserves the Doak Walker Award. Do I think he's going to win it over Jonathan Taylor? Probably not. Has the voting already begun for that? That's I think it, yeah. I mean, finalists are already out. They're both finalists, as well as Chubba Hubbard from Oklahoma State, I believe. I'm I'm not sure when <coughs> the voting has to be finalized. I'm not sure if it's after the conference championship games as before, but I think it has already started. If people can vote right now, I think that Jonathan Taylor probably wins. I, if, I think I, I I'm pretty sure if it votes are due on Sunday or something like it, that. Is yeah. my guess. If, if not, I do think that this is a game that, that could cement it, especially since it's the second one between Ohio State and Wisconsin. But like I said, I, th- I like, like I think we both agree, I think Jonathan Taylor probably wins regardless. Over under 100 yards differential between J.K. and Jonathan Taylor. I love that this seems like a That seems like a lot, and yet... I could see it being over because Ohio State has been able to bottle up Jonathan Taylor. And not only that, they've been able to bottle him up in, in every single um, game they played him, and they've been able to bottle up basically every single rushing attack that they've faced this entire year. Um, in the first game, Taylor had 52 yards, J.K. had 163. That over would have hit. And gosh, like I... I that's, that's a hard prediction. I would say no, but I would say no without a lot of confidence. I'm going to go ahead and say over. Uh, I, again, not a lot of confidence. Don't think I'd bet real money on that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say over. I'm going to say over. Final score prediction for the game, I'm going to go with 45-14, and that's not really a complex prediction. I kept the same margin of victory from the first game and added some points because they're going to be playing indoors in better weather. But I'm going to go 45-14. I haven't really thought necessarily that deeply, but I'll go with 38-17. 
offensive and defensive MVPs for this game. I'm going to go with Justin Fields on offense. I think he is going to have another big game against the Badgers. I'm grabbing the low-hanging fruit here, but Chase Young had four sacks against Wisconsin the first time around, so I really can't pick against him for defensive MVP. Yeah, I mean, I'd be ludicrous to pick any one other than Chase Young. So I would take Chase Young, and I'll go with J.K. Dobbins. If you remember two years ago, J.K. Dobbins had a great freshman performance in the Big Ten title game, and I think that I think I think I think he'll have another big one on Saturday. We're really going out on a limb there with that. So oh, here getting, <laughs> it's hard so. to go out on a limb with this team. I think the next question, bold prediction, maybe allows that. Bold prediction. I probably should have thought about this one before. I know. That's well, I was I was banking on you taking this one first. Say, I got my bold prediction last week. Last week, my bold prediction was that Garrett Wilson would catch a touchdown pass. So I can't use that one again. I will say. I will say that Sean Wade not only plays in this game, but he has an interception in this game. I will. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I'll say Damon Arnett has a pick six with his cast. That's bold. So I'm going to go with it. He's done it once. Yes. Could certainly do it again. Little Trouty asks us, who would you rather have as a father-in-law? Paul Christ, Mike Leach, or Dabo Sweeney? I think the correct answer here is Mike Leach. I also think the commenter probably wants us to trash Dabo Sweeney. I'm not going to do that because I covered Clemson and the vast majority of my interactions with Dabo were positive. So I think Mike Leach is probably the correct answer just because he's such an interesting guy. But I like Dabo. The the bottom of my list there would be Paul Christ because I just don't find him to be an interesting person. (laughs) No, that's exactly why I would not pick Paul Christ either. I honestly think it's a little bit of a tough decision between Mike Leach and Dabo. I actually might pick Dabo. I just think, I don't know. I think Mike Leach is too weird for me. I think if I were, like, I I don't know. I probably would have, like, dropped out of high school and done something crazy if Mike Leach was my father-in-law. Like, I I, I can't trust myself to have Mike Leach be my father-in-law. I mean, he fits the stereotypical crazy in-law, uncle, whatever you want to call it. He certainly uh, he certainly fits well into that box. Yeah, I'm not sure how I'm ending up with him as my father-in-law, but I'll pass, <laughs> yeah, I'll pass on that one. I don't know enough about their families, so I'm, I'm not sure about that one, but it's an interesting question. I, li- I like that question, Little Trouty. Daniel asked us, were you surprised that Jonathan Cooper chose to play his final game this year against Michigan instead of in the Big Ten Championship or the playoffs? I don't think I'd say surprised because we know how much this game means to everyone at Ohio State. And certainly, I think especially for someone like him who grew up loving Ohio State from Gahanna, Ohio, is always his dream to play at Ohio State. I think People who grow up dreaming of Ohio State, this game against Michigan means so much to them that it doesn't surprise me. Granted, if if I was in his shoes, I might be thinking, man, if I know I'm only playing one more game this year, I might want to save it for a college football playoff. But at the same time, 
I also don't know how much you can bank on Jonathan Cooper. When you know that you're going to redshirt him, do you really want to save him for a situation for playing in the national championship? Would you want to play someone in the national championship who hasn't played in a game for months? I'm not sure if Ohio State wanted to do that because when he was asked about it after the game, he actually only mentioned Penn State, Michigan, and a Big Ten championship. So I'm not sure if the coaches might have told him pick one of those games because we're we're going to shut you down before the playoffs. So I'm not surprised. I thought it could go a different way, but I also think that when when you're so, when you're in a position like he's in, Ohio State can't be banking on him to play a big role in a college football playoff game so this was the game that he chose he played a lot against Michigan and and had a sack and and played well in that game but I I think now they just have to move forward without him they've made their decision both Jonathan Cooper and Ryan Day have said that decision is firm and they're not going to change it so now they've just got to move forward with the guys they have I was surprised. I was sitting in the press box then. And I didn't. I didn't expect it. Um, I thought that because personally, in my mind, if I were in that position, and I knew I had one more, I would probably pick to play in the playoff. But I think that you're right. It's it's just another game to pit, play against Michigan. Um, it shows you how much this game means to both him and the program. Um, and you know, it's it is one of those things where we always. Like, the debate was in the week leading up to Michigan, like, would, would Ohio State fans rather beat Michigan and uh, and not make the playoff or vice versa? Um, and, you know, it doesn't really cement, like, what's more important, but it shows you, again, just within the program, what people think of that specific game. Bartholomew asked, Hi, is this segment restricted to answering questions, or will you also answer insults? If you want to insult us, go for it. We have thick skin, so sure. I'll answer an insult. Yeah. Unfortunately, sure. we didn't get one this week. I guess that'll be nuts. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's planning I, something. He's I, I'd, I'd say this if I'd say this if you're gonna insult us, then that gives us rain to insult back. So, not saying we would insult you, Bartholomew, because. I think you're a very clever poster, and I especially appreciate many of your gifs after commitments. But I think if people want us to answer insults on the show, then we would have the right to insult back. I would like you to insult Dan for his pronunciation of gif right there. <laughs> there you go. That's, that, that's a good one. It's a good one to get us started. Chipperson1 asked, who on the staff do you think Urban Meyer takes with him to USC? Well, first of all, I, regardless of what Sports Illustrated and its various outposts are reporting or not reporting, I think that if USC was going to fire Clay Helton, it probably would have done it by now. I guess this is one of one thing that could, could change by the time you're listening to this podcast, but I think they probably would have already made the move by now if they were going to do that. So... I don't necessarily think that job's opening up this year. I also don't necessarily think that Urban Meyer would be taking that job anyway. But I do think it's an interesting hypothetical question in terms of if Urban Meyer were to take another job, who would he try to take that's currently on Ohio State's coaching staff? And and truly, 
I don't really think he would take anyone who's currently on the among the ten on-field assistant coaches. Half of those guys were brought in by Ryan Day. I don't necessarily think that any of the other half are strong candidates to follow Urban Meyer to another coaching job just because I think they'd either be looking for head coaching jobs of their own or certainly if we're talking about someone like Larry Johnson, I think he's going to retire at Ohio State. Not saying he's going to retire imminently, but I think when I think he's going to finish his career at Ohio State, I don't think he's going to go somewhere else. I think the people that you would be concerned about losing if Urban Meyer takes another head coaching job would be the behind-the-scenes people like Mickey Marotti and Mark Pantone and Ryan Stamper and Brian Voltolini because those are people who Urban Meyer brought with him when he took the job. He brought them with him from Florida. They, they have played a huge role in building up this program along with Urban Meyer, and they continue to play very key roles behind the scenes with Ryan Day. And I think those are the people who Urban Meyer would really go after and and try to bring with him to a new job. Yeah, I agree with that. If we want to run through the assistants real quick, um, I think you're right. I think Larry Johnson would probably stay at Ohio State. Um, Tony Alford would maybe be interesting, but it would, like to me, in, in that scenario, I think, I think when I think of Tony Alford leaving Ohio State, I wonder about it being for a head coaching job. Yeah, so I think he scenario, wants to be a head coach. I do. I, yeah, I mean, he's written that on basically every single performance review since he's been at Ohio State. Um, so right. I think if he left for USC, it would be for an uptick in the role, which would be if he were an offensive coordinator. I think Brian Hardline would be a little interesting if, if Urban wanted to steal him, and he's been a great recruiter for Ohio State, and obviously he's, he has the Urban connection as when, when he was on staff, not as a full-time assistant, but he was still on staff when Urban was there. If he wanted to make Hardline an offensive coordinator, that would be that would be quite interesting. I, it's not like that. that is as pure speculation as speculation gets, but I, but I do think that would be a little interesting. Um, to draw, um, who knows, honestly. Um, I, I think Kevin Wilson would leave for, for a head coaching job. Um, did I forget anyone? No, I, I mean, I think the one person who I think would be a lock to go with Urban, who is not on the, among yes. the 10 coaches, but is it, it would be Corey Dennis, his son-in-law. Exactly. I think, I think he would most likely have a, a full-time assistant coaching position on Urban Staff because he's someone who's on the rise, I think, within the next couple of years is going to go be an assistant coach somewhere anyway. So I think certainly if Urban Meyer got a job, he is someone who would be a part of that staff. I think those other offensive coaches, I think one reason why I wouldn't say that right now is because I think most likely if, if Urban got another head coaching job right now, I think probably his top choice for offensive coordinator would probably be Steve Adazio, who just lost the job at Boston College. I think that's probably someone who he would bring in to be his offensive coordinator, and I don't think you would pair him with uh, Kevin Wilson or Greg Stadrawa. So yeah, I don't, I, just, I, don't, I don't know about that, to be honest, though. If, if, if Urban Meyer gets back into coaching, it's it's one, because he has the he has the drive and to, to get back into this and he, and he wants to win, and two, I think it's I think when he gets there, I don't think that I don't think he can necessarily use like I don't want to use the word retread, but like someone who has been around. Like I think he would look for the Ryan Day. I think he would look for the the younger, untapped mind um, of, of of someone. And that's yeah, I not, think I think Heartline would be the most intriguing. Yes, that that is why that is why I said like that. You talk about 
because like because I do believe that in the next couple of years, whether at Ohio State or elsewhere, Hartline is going to want to make the jump to an offensive coordinator role, and he's going to have those opportunities. So I, I think he'd be the most intriguing one in terms of that is someone that an Urban Meyer could look at and say, here's a rising star I could bring in to be my passing game coordinator, and it could be an opportunity for him to move up the ranks and and for Urban Meyer to bring in someone like that. So I could I could see that. That's probably about the only one that I could see because, again, not saying Urban doesn't have respect for the coaches he didn't bring in, but I don't know that he necessarily has ties to them. And, again, if you're talking about people like Jeff Halfley or, or Al Washington, those are people who look like if they leave, it could be for head coaching jobs. So I think I, Heartline's really the only one that I would see. Guess we'll move on question. to the next question. Yep. Yes. Tampa, Tampa Tom said he believes there is a talent gap between Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Michigan, but there's only a culture gap between Ohio State and Michigan. And he references the Michigan players to trying to take J.K. Dobbins' shoes, revenge tour, all of that. Slippery slope here. I think the cultures are different. I think it's a lot easier to quantify a talent gap than it is a culture gap. Because I think there's a clear, between Ohio State and, and Michigan and Wisconsin both, there's a clear talent gap, Ohio State to those teams. I, I definitely don't think there's any questions about Wisconsin's culture. I think Wisconsin has a very defined culture it, it is what it it is what it is uh, certainly I think Ohio State has an elite culture right now with, with the things they're doing the players talk about it all the time Tr- truly I I think the culture has gotten better from where it was last year under Meyer to Ryan Day just talking to the players they just seem to be enjoying themselves a lot more this year than they were the past couple years and even though Urban Meyer is one of the all-time great coaches, it just seems like Ryan Day and this new coaching staff have have tapped into something that's brought these guys to an even higher level. So I think Ohio State's culture is as good as it could, could be right now. So yeah, there's probably a gap between Ohio State and Michigan. I, I think, to me, more than the taking off shoes or Khalid Hudson wearing a Greg Madison sweatshirt or any of that, I think the big thing to me that it keeps coming back to, especially in terms of the game and the rivalry and all that is that I, I just don't think Michigan takes it as seriously as Ohio State does. I, I just don't, and I don't know that that's going to change anytime soon. Specifically in terms of that rivalry, I just don't. I just don't think they take it as seriously. I just, I just don't think it means as much to them as it does to Ohio State. I, I think, I think Ohio State truly does buy into this idea of this is the most important game of the year, and we work 365 days a year to win this game. And I think Michigan, I think to them it's just another game. And I'm sure when when it is like that, and then you go into a game like Saturday where you don't even have a Big Ten title on the line anymore, that probably doesn't help. And it does. It does seem like there are more instances of Michigan players going into this game with big talk and things like that, and where Ohio State just kind of seems to do the same thing year in and year out. 
So I think there is a culture gap to some degree. It's just hard to quantify. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to say. Uh, like, culture is one of those tough words too. Is like, what, what, what are you talking right. about <laughs> when you're saying culture? Like, I think that's right. an easy thing to say when a team is just better. Like, oh, there's a culture gap. Like, if you wanted to, like, nitpick, like, Craig Young posted a photo <laughs> today on Tuesday. Is that his new profile picture on Twitter of him just flipping the birds at? Michigan fans as he walks by like when when Damon Arnett was coming down the tunnel before the game like he like spat on the tunnel and like if you want to talk about culture gap like it's just hard to quantify what that is like both teams really want to win one's better like I, I I don't think if you're looking at the teams like it's not like either team has a lot of people in legal issues it's not like they're going through all these kinds of off-field issues or not a bunch of off-field concerns. I think they're both in a pretty steady place when it comes to that. Like, what what necessarily is culture like in the question? It's like they tolerate mediocrity and lack of discipline. I'm like I, I'm not necessarily seeing that they're tolerating mediocrity and lack of discipline. I just think that they're not as good as Ohio State in a lot of areas in terms of coaching, in terms of recruiting, in terms of on player development. I just think that they're not as good in those areas. I don't think it necessarily comes down to culture, whatever specific part of culture you're talking about. I think there's a lot that goes into culture. Silver Sniper asks a couple questions. One, does Utah win and they're in, or does it come down to how convincingly Utah and Oklahoma win their respective conference titles? I think if Utah wins, they're going to be in, but I do think there could be some of a latter element there. I think Oklahoma has that name brand that always helps. They do have that more explosive offense that I think could be a more intriguing matchup, a more dangerous matchup like we talked about before. So I think there's going to be a real debate there for that fourth spot if both of them win. It's also not a lock that either of them wins. I mean, ba- I mean, Baylor could end up in a debate too if it beats Oklahoma because it's ranked seventh right now and only a one-loss team. I side toward Utah. I think we talked about that last week. I side toward Utah, but I do think that one's still very much up for debate. And if if Oklahoma blows out Baylor and and Utah squeaks by Oregon, that that could that could turn the tables. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily as simple as Utah winning their end. I think it's Utah win, and it's not just a nail-biter in their end. Question two is what happens if disaster strikes and Georgia beats LSU? Would that undoubtedly put two SEC teams in the playoff once again? I'm not going to say undoubtedly, but I think it's likely because just like Ohio State, LSU's resume is so much better than everyone else other than Ohio State that it would be hard to leave them out. So if we're talking about disaster, yeah, I think if you're Utah, Oklahoma, or Baylor, I think that would be disaster because I I think that would definitely create the possibility that none of those teams are getting in because Georgia would get in in that scenario, and I think it would be tough to leave LSU out. Yeah, I'll say almost the exact same answer I gave for Ohio State. is like you can't ever say um, undoubtedly because this is the college football playoff committee we're talking about but i feel very strongly that yes there'd be two sec teams along with ohio state and clemson 
Silver Sniper said we did a great job as a committee last week. So hopefully, hopefully we did an okay job this week. Final question comes to us from Buckter. Does playing a team the second time really make it more difficult? Do you believe Coach won't have a plan? Well, answer the second question first. No, I'm confident that Ryan Day will have a plan. Ohio State has had a plan for every single game this year, and it's been a good plan. So I would be shocked if Ohio State doesn't have a good game plan. I think this coaching staff has done an excellent job all season. As we talked about before, I think Ohio State is a far more adaptable team than Wisconsin. So my feeling is Ohio State is probably going to have a better game plan for Wisconsin than Wisconsin's going to be able to concoct for Ohio State. It, it still might make it more difficult just because I think there's a mental aspect of this too where like we're not able to get hyped up for it. So I remember going into the first game talking to players and they were all really talking about how playing Wisconsin is war and all that. And I don't know if they're going to be feeling that for this game just because of the way the first, first game went. But at the same time, Ryan Day and this coaching staff and this team have done a remarkable job all season of just seemingly just staying focused every single week. This week, the mantra has been, let's get through the finish line. So I think there's going to be a lot of talk going into this game about we gotta we got to go in, we got to win big, we got to prove we belong in the college football playoff. And that's what I believe is gonna. That's what I believe is gonna happen. I, I I think a rematch is weird. It's honestly hard to even really quantify what it means because there hasn't been one in 44 years for Ohio State. But I will be surprised if Ohio State doesn't play well. I will be surprised if the rematch suddenly allows Wisconsin to play drastically better than it did the first time around. Yep, I agree. I think does it does the team playing somebody a second time make it more difficult like sometimes and it depends on the opponent and to me Wisconsin is not the kind of opponent that makes it more difficult I think like even even a team like Michigan I think actually would have been a little bit more of a challenge a second time but no I think Wisconsin is what it is Wisconsin isn't going to change what it is and that's why I feel like we're going to see a fairly similar result to what we saw the first time well, we've kept you long enough here. We, we seem to keep getting longer and longer of these, so we're going to have to find a way to uh, not keep you guys so long going forward. But we, we thank you for staying tuned, listening in. Lots to talk about this week. Certainly going to be lots to talk about next week based on whatever happens this weekend at Ohio State potentially being in the college football playoffs. So we will talk about that next week. Saturday night, Big Ten Championship game, Ohio State-Wisconsin. We will be there. We'll be covering everything from the Big Ten Championship to the college football playoff with about two hours of sleep in between. So stay tuned with 11warriors.com. Help keep us awake, and we will talk to you guys next week.